Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Thank you for downloading this episode of New Books and Sports. I'm your host, Bruce Berglund. For each episode of the podcast, we choose an interesting new book that takes a deeper look at some area of world sport, and we talk with the author. This week's guest is David Little, head of the Department of Photography and New Media at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. David was curator of the Institute's 2012 exhibition of more than 200 images from the history of sports photography, a show that earned rave reviews and received nationwide media attention. The accompanying catalog to the exhibition is titled The Sports Show, Athletics as Image and Spectacle, published by the University of Minnesota Press in 2012. If you have an interest in sports photography, I recommend the catalog as a rich collection of striking and intriguing images. There are a number of familiar pictures in the catalog, and we'll talk about a few of those in the interview. But as David explains, he was deliberate in leaving out a number of famous shots. In their place are Andy Warhol's Polaroid portraits of Wayne Gretzky and Pele, Lenny Riefenstahl's photographs from the 1936 Berlin Olympics, and turn-of-the-century images of physical education classes. The catalog documents the history of sports photography, but David also makes an argument that these images reveal how sport has become an entertainment and a spectacle. The photos that we see in the sports pages or the nightly video highlights are part of the show. What David is looking for are those photographs that reveal that the sports show is a show and that athletes have become image-conscious performers. Here's my interview with curator David Little. This week's guest on New Books and Sports is David Little. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'll start by asking you to say a few words about yourself. You are a uh, curator at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts, the head of the Department of Photography and New Mediums, New Media, excuse me. So could you tell us a bit about your background and and what led you into the study of photography? Sure. I uh, my background is really in contemporary art and I studied at uh, Williams College, got my masters there, my PhD at Duke University and always loved the idea of working with living artists and the kinds of kinds of interactions that you have with living artists they're incredibly inspiring and it's fascinating to deal with uh, culture uh, as it's as it's unfolding in in real time but um, I started out uh, at the Museum of Modern Art where I was head of uh, academic programs and then was at the Whitney in um, education as well and taught taught at Duke as well as at uh, Art College in Minneapolis. But I, I always love the idea of the museum because you're able to work with or talk with or reach uh, just a, 
a wide uh, audience from kids to uh, retirees, and I really realized that when I was uh, lecturing at at MoMA. Um, and then I made a, a, a kind of an unusual shift, but um, not unusual except for perhaps within the kind of traditional trajectory of a career, but moving into photography because I always found that when I was lecturing, I ended up lecturing on, on photographs. Um, and I did that at, at MoMA in particular, and MoMA was the museum that uh, first uh, had a department of photography, so uh, they've had a, a tremendous impact on the history of photography and really learned about the history of photography, uh, lecturing and, and studying at MoMA. So it wasn't something that I uh, honestly studied uh, as a graduate student when I was looking at contemporary art and um, was fortunate enough to, to land a really wonderful position here at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. David, you write in your book that uh, you're also a, a lifelong sports fan and, and a yeah. player. And Isn't everyone? <laughs> well, that's the, that's the next part of my question because I would say in the, in the minds of most people, uh, the sports bar and the art gallery are places about as far removed from each other as you can possibly get. So I'll, I'll ask, is, is that actually the case? Do you find that your interest in sports and art are somewhat uh, different spheres or, or is there more mixing of the two than, uh, than the layman would expect? No, they they really are uh, different spheres, and that was one of the um, reasons why I was really drawn to uh, this particular uh, topic. Um, you know, that that being said, there are uh, little pockets of um, uh, sports fan, uh, sports uh, aficionados, and sports lovers within the the art world, and I always seem to try to 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 find them, but. Um, uh, there are artists, there are also some academics, uh, too, who are interested in sports, but I was fascinated with this, this really great divide. So even with uh, individuals or, or fans who love sports, they think of that as something extracurricular, for lack of a better term, uh, from their, their real job, whether it's uh, studying history or, um, or being an artist. And I was uh, really wanted to look at uh, ways that we might be able to, to connect um, those academic pursuits and um, the pleasures of sports, because I do think, you know, as this, as this show tries to illustrate through both the uh, images as well as uh, through the text, that um, sports are you know, very, very complex and uh, historically uh, important um, as, we, as we look back and think about them. So following up on that, when, when you brought the idea of this exhibition on, on sports photography to the Art Institute's directors and the other curators. What was the response? Did you have to make the, the case for this show? You know, I, I didn't, and that was that was really a surprise uh, for me because my director is uh, Kaywin Feldman, a wonderful person, a great art lover, and not a sports fan at all. <laughs> uh, she uh, graduated from Michigan, and she goes every year to the big uh, Michigan-Notre Dame game, but it's more for the fun and the pleasure of it. Um, but is not a sports fan, and I was, I was in fact very worried about talking to her about the show, or not worried, but just trying to figure out how I might be able to discuss the show in a way that might be appealing to her. And, and I honestly thought that it was a real long shot that I'd get this show on the books, but uh, as it turns out, I had talked to a few other people in the institution, and sure enough, when I was having a meeting with uh, Kaywin about a completely uh, different topic, she looked at me and she said, I hear a rumor that you're working on a sports show. <laughs> 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 and 
And I saw, I showed her some images uh, then and there, and she was so excited. She really was so excited and said, let's just do it. And I was... um, I was just really inspired by uh, her enthusiasm, and I think that, again, even though she isn't a sports fan, she really just immediately understood where I was coming from and and why I thought this was an important idea and and how sports are really just part of daily ritual and and life and and culture, but we we really kind of look at them through a a critical lens, especially uh, from from the art world and uh, within an art museum context. Well, let me ask about that, because you... you, you present this idea that uh, there hasn't been attention to sports photography uh, in the art world because there is, you know, really that the the art world separates itself from what it sees as as popular culture. But you do say in your essay that there are very few sports photographs that merit a place in an art museum. Uh, I think the term you use is that an original sports photograph is pretty rare. So can you talk about that? Yeah, um, well, just like any field, whether it's sports or or even, uh, let's say, entertainment, there are certain uh, kinds of ways that that photographs are are taken, certain subjects, sort of your stock image uh, that they're looking for. And that happens a great deal in, in sports. So in order for a work to uh, elevate beyond the sort of the commonplace image of a particular figure or game, um, there have to, I mean, there are certain elements that have to be in place. And I think a, I think a great example, because I'm, I'm speaking in the abstract, and, and really it's, I, mean, I guess it's a little bit like pornography, a famous statement, you, you, see it, you know it when you see it. And I think that that's the case, for instance, in... Um, in Avedon's uh, portrait of Lou Alcindor, which we acquired for the museum, and I was so struck by how the trustees, again, who weren't sports fans, understood that this image was a beautiful image and that it was a striking portrait, and they had no idea that it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Lou Alcindor. It wasn't important to them. But what that photograph that that um, Avedon created has is it has this you know huge... Uh, figure, but incredibly elegantly posed mm-hmm. in a in an urban setting and holding a basketball like it's a grapefruit and and uh, so and these, so young is is and uh, so young and 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 I I talk about this in the catalog is that uh, you look at Alcindor at that time I think he's a junior in high school and um, he's you know about to break all the records in uh, scoring and rebounding in, in New York. Um, and you look at him and you see this incredible uh, youthful figure who will become the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. But you can see in his eyes and you can see in the way that Avedon presents him, this is, this is an, uh, a young man with um, incredible desire and also a young man with tremendous poise. You can, yes, you yeah. can see the poise in the way that he, hold, he holds himself. I mean, mm-hmm. most teenagers who had that kind of body would be slumped and um, wouldn't appear to be as powerful, but he he has this kind of powerful figure. And also you can see, we think of Kareem in terms of this great uh, sky hook, and um, he had such a kind of an effortless uh, quality about him on the court, but you really see this the athlete in that mm-hmm. in that picture because of the way that his body is proportioned, but all of those little those subtle elements of of image making 
um, you know, can only be kind of created by a great uh, photographer. So that's that's the that's the case. That we don't need to know that Al Cinder is a, is a great basketball player. Um, we don't need to know that he's a sports figure, but he's he's still it's still a, a work of art or a portrait. Uh, and, and who knows? I mean, that portrait could have still been. Uh, still been one of the most important portraits of all time, even if Alcindor didn't become yeah. Alcindor. And I, I, that is, in fact, in the art world, that is the case because most people don't really know mm-hmm. of his significance and impact within the, the world of, of basketball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a wonderful photograph. I had never, I had never seen that published before. Had it ever been published before? It has been published before, and I have to say, I really wanted to have that photograph on the cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's a very the, the, it, it's very very difficult to get rights for that picture because of the Avedon Foundation. Yeah, and yeah. I had seen that picture. Um, I saw it in New York. I saw MoMA had purchased that photograph, and this is again when I was thinking about the sports show, and I was just uh, trying to figure out what I would do. And I saw that picture, and it was just immediate. Oh God. I, I not only have to have this in the show, but we have to try to get this as our, for our collection. So I, I was able to get both, which was really terrific. Yeah, it had the same effect on me. I've, I find that picture to be mesmerizing, and that uh, yeah. there are, there are so many things to read in that in that photograph. So, but related to that, I want to ask before we turn to the book, I want to yes. ask about the process of bringing together this collection of photographs that you had for the exhibition. And and as I was looking at the image list in the back of the catalog, it shows that. Uh, a number of photographs were in the collections of the Minneapolis Institute of Arts, but you also have prints from the Library of Congress, the Museum of Modern Art, the Getty Museum in L.A., as well as from various uh, private collections. And right. then in your acknowledgment section, you thank dozens of colleagues at, at right. galleries and museums across the country. So I'm interested, how did these conversations go? How did you and your colleagues, you know, so these sports fans tucked within the art world, how did you decide on the photographs to be included in the exhibition? Well, you know, it was just really a lot of um, a lot of research and detective work. And I started out with the major collections, which are in um, really Houston. I know that Ann, Ann Tucker, who's down there, in Houston did uh, an early sports show. She is really the only other sports show that I could really find. Um, and so I knew that she would have collected a bunch of sports images. And then um, I knew that Getty um, had a lot of uh, boxing uh, photographs uh, out there because there was um, same interesting story. Sam Wagstaff, who was a curator uh, on the East Coast and ended up I think he was at the Wadsworth Athenaeum in the East Coast and ended up in California. He's also known as, he was Robert Maplethorpe's lover, but was a huge um, collector of sports photographs. And I found this tremendous stash of photographs that he collected of boxers um, uh, by anonymous pictures, but great boxing photographs that were taken in the 50s and 60s. So I had a a whole installation, and you can see those as well in the catalog. And then I... I, um, then started calling people, but uh, there, you know, as I mentioned right at the beginning, there aren't a lot of folks who know about sports. And I, you know, my approach is always, uh, especially in this uh, show, was not to show the uh, photographs that everyone expects. Like, for instance, the Neil Lifer's famous photograph of Ali mm-hmm. Overliston is not included in the show or the catalog. So I was trying to talk with different people or look in different places to find um, pictures, and, and it was very, very hard, but I just I just scoured the art world, talked to a lot of galleries, 
who I knew had artists that were interested in sports and had depicted sports and um and then you know put together the show that way went to Notre Dame which was really really fun uh my first time seeing touchdown Jesus which was exciting <laughs> and um and and was able to go through they have a great again a great boxing archive i i do think that there could be a whole show done on boxing boxing pictures are some of the greatest pictures i think sports pictures out there uh so it was just a lot of contacts a lot of research um but uh, in all honesty i didn't have a lot of uh fellow uh photo curators um who really know are are as sort of crazy about sports as i am <laughs> So even with the Getty archive, I was looking at pictures of, of um, you know, list in that they were saying or, or Floyd Patterson that were identified as Muhammad Ali. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I had to do a bit. I had I was able to through the Getty. I was able to do a lot of corrections on their uh, uh, you know IDs, especially I mean not just for the obvious people. It's, I'm not a, an expert in boxing, but you know, I think for sports fan, you know who the major figures were. Um, or you can identify them. So anyway, so it was a lot. It, it was so much fun because I was able to really, this again where we got support, I was able to really travel. And, and what you find with, with when you're putting together a show like this is photographs look very different in books and um, up close and personal. So, you know, a lot of times, if, uh, for instance, newspaper, I spent a lot of times with the, a lot of time at the New York Times and, and archives, like the Library of Congress that you mentioned. But those photographs that are used that we may know uh, very well for a publication or a newspaper, when you actually see them for a display, they, they don't have the same kind of print quality that, as a curator, you're looking, looking for. So you really have to go out there and find it. And then... Um, you know, along with print quality, if you get into the aesthetic issues, is uh, a photographer who doesn't understand sports mm-hmm. can't necessarily take a really good picture. So it's a it's a tricky thing. Uh, the, the, I think the most talented photographers are those that understand sports but understand image making. And um, some most times they're they're either one or the other, and to to bring together a kind of critical dimension to, to uh, sports. It's, you know, very, very similar, I would say, in terms of writing. You know, there are the, the journalist or someone who you read in the newspaper or, or in Time magazine or the major magazines, and then there are the great writers like Updike, who brings that, that talent as a writer to his love of sports. And a and, uh, similar thing happens with, with uh, photography as well. And so I was really, as I was doing this major search, trying to find those those pictures. And I'm hoping that that we have, I hope there are, there are other sports shows that are out there. There, there should be more sports shows um, that are done because there's, there's certainly more potential to do many different iterations of, of uh, an approach to thinking about sports. Mm-hmm. Well, David, let me ask you about the uh, the idea behind the title of the exhibition. Yes. So, so what is the sports show? Capital S sports show. What did, what did you mean by that? I, I, you know, that it's a show. It's really a show in entertainment, and I think that this is in my essay. What I talk about is how um, sports started um, with baseball and there and boxing. Um, as as more local uh, that you you attended the game and it was a community endeavor and that's still the still the case one might argue with minor league baseball or high school baseball or or some of the high school sports but um now because of 
entertainment and, and television, particularly the role of, of television and the incredible money that television brought in, in the catalog. I don't have the statistics, but I have kind of a, an outline in my essay about you know how we go from first contracts of millions to billions now. And with that, um, there is an, an, an effort to make sports into a media spectacle and, and into a show. And so that, that the show, in summary, is really tracing through images uh, the movement of sports from more community uh, and local to uh, a media spectacle and to try to see how that actually affects uh, the kinds of images that are created. And it, it just keeps it keeps happening over and over again. Uh, you know, it'll be fascinating to see what attending a sporting event will be like in another ten years. So, for instance, during the show, uh, the Dallas the Dallas Cowboys put in the, the huge, gigantic stream that was that was literally, as we know, is becoming part of the game. That that you know, remember punters were punting into the screen because it was too low. Uh, but the idea of having a simultaneous experience. So I really wanted to to uh, foreground that idea of this of, of sports as a as a show and and not just a competition. And I think that that also the idea of a show and entertainment um, is really reflects as well on on our culture today. I want to ask about some particular images that were in the show yep. and uh, to ask about why you included them, but also why uh, or what you as a, as a scholar of photography, what you see in the images. Yep. And uh, and so one is is this image of, of Jesse Owens on the medal stand. Uh, he's won the gold medal and there's a, a German athlete behind him giving the, the Hitler salute as as Owens is saluting the flag. And then you have on the fam- the facing page in the catalog, uh, the famous, famous photograph of the American sprinters Tommy Smith and John Carlos giving the Black Power salute at the 1968 right. Olympics. So, so I'll ask you about those two images that you have. Yeah, um, I, I just was really, uh, really struck in in looking at that photograph of of Owens because Owens is is wearing a wreath and um, he's also holding a plant. I think it's a it's also a reef plant and he he is saluting and then um, as you mentioned the the german behind him is is giving the heil hitler salute uh and if you look at the image of uh of tommy smith and john carlos they're giving kind of black power salute which looks very very similar in a way to the hitler salute and it's it's more of a I'm not saying that they're Nazis or anything like that, but it's it's more of an aggressive, um, uh, active uh, protest um, for the treatment of African Americans. And then in the case of, of uh, Jesse Owens, who equally could have taken that position, um, it's a much more kind of respectful um, uh, salute. And I, I thought these, these images were so important in terms of thinking about uh, race in America and uh, the changing role of, of athletes um, in the case of Owens uh, being more integrated, being a little bit more passive, maybe maybe even maybe too passive in terms of his relationship to power, and uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith really capitalizing on this moment and, and recognizing as well how uh, 
maybe they were being exploited uh, in in the 60s. And I thought it would, was important visually to try to uh, juxtapose those two images to show uh, this this transition that happens. The other major figure that plays a, a role in the exhibition, and, and I mention a great deal in the book, is is someone like uh, Muhammad Ali and Ali's tremendous uh, impact in terms of um, in terms of race uh, relations uh, and using his his uh, high profile in sports to uh, move forward ideas about um, African Americans and religion and and of course we know too um, his his position in terms of, of war and power. We don't have a picture of Tiger Woods in here uh, or Michael Jordan, but that debate. Um, of course, it's, which is written about a, a great deal in, in the press since the 80s, continues because um, now uh, it's almost as though we've gone a little bit back to um, a little bit back to Jesse Owens in some some way. And I, I say this a little bit. Uh, there was a piece with O.J. Simpson. It's, it's hard to sort of get into too many of the details, but the main point is that Simpson, Jordan, and Tiger. In their cases, they're not just athletes; they're brands, mm-hmm. and that they recognize that they are a brand, and they don't, or they 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 want to emphasize their role as brands. So, to make a political statement might affect their brand; it might uh, affect their ultimate saleability as ath- athletes and as as profit. Um, and that is a that you know that's that in itself could be a really interesting show to look at uh, race and profit and and uh, and, and money uh, so this is a little bit of a, a little bit of a, um, a kind of a pointing to this 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 moment in, in history two different moments 30s and the 60s and we could even bring it up to uh, you know the present day uh, and see how that shifts that relationship of race and money um, and the idea of a brand change David, you said at the start when you were talking about uh, putting together the images for the exhibition, you were you were reluctant to bring in some of the the more famous images, uh, such as Ali standing over Sonny Liston. You you do have uh, some that were that are, uh, I would say, universally identifiable, such as yeah. Carlos and Smith. And uh, and one image that that struck me in thinking about um, you know as sports fans, we see certain pictures and and right away we we recognize it. It's it's familiar to us. But at the same time, something I noted in looking through the catalog is how many of those images, those familiar images, are culturally specific. And I thought of it in particular in that your exhibition includes the famous baseball card showing the portrait of of Honus Wagner, the the player for the Pittsburgh Pirates back in the early 20th century, and how, you know, for a sports fan in the United States – that picture of Wagner would be almost universally recognizable. Yet, if you brought that picture to, say, Australia, they, it would just produce the shrugging of shoulders. Basically, you know what's right. the significance of that. So, so I want to ask you about that in terms of images that that have a reach beyond, you know, Carlos and Smith is recognizable world over, as opposed to as opposed to a Honus Wagner on a baseball card. You no, know, that's absolutely. And I became more and more aware of that. Uh, through the show, because sometimes you travel shows to European countries, and as I was looking, I looked at there are a couple of soccer shows. Soccer is a very, very popular um, sports topic in the art world in Europe, um, and that's because soccer is so popular in in uh, Europe. Uh, 
And that even happens um, locally. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was working on a, a Minnesota sports show, and I realized uh, halfway through trying to organize that show that I couldn't do it because I didn't grow up here in Minnesota. And I didn't really know um, all of the subtleties, all of the shared uh, knowledge that um, true sports fans here have about sports. That, so, so I could that's, do that. That's, yeah, that's interesting. So I, as a native of Minnesota, so that's interesting. In, in your view, I would be better able to organize an exhibition on Minnesota sports photographs as a non-photography expert than you as the photography expert who's not as familiar with the, with the sporting culture. Yes. I'm, I'm not going to give up my position totally to you, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it would have been, been fun thing. to work with you. You. <laughs> you would know the subjects that we would need to address okay, or okay. some of the figures. Then, then it would be a matter of us talking about the images. But I did not know the key moments in the history of sports. So, for instance, one of the key moments in the history of Minnesota sports that only Minnesotans would probably know is um, is the brawl, is the famous brawl where uh, Minnesota and Ohio State, um, it was a nationally televised game, and there was basically a riot that broke in, out. With in the, college with basketball. The, with, with the player, and Dave Winfield actually was involved yep, in yep. that. Right, and there were player was you know kicked in the gut, and it was it was really an embarrassment to the university. And anyway, but that uh, unless you were were here, uh, you you might not know about that particular episode. So that that's a, so there's that very very specific. And I think all of us, you know, wherever we grew up, I mean, I can tell you about the you know growing up in Providence, the famous the famous basketball game during a winter, during the blizzard of 1976 where Providence College beat beat North Carolina which was number one or something like that so there are all these like little mini stories that are you know have uh, great pride but um, in term it's very it's specific sports is specific locally it's specific uh, nationally and then as you pointed out it's also uh, Different different countries uh, as well. It, it becomes uh, has its own little stories, and it's about that personal relationship that we have to those things. But I, I was always looking at uh, those images that tried that that tried to transcend those borders, at least in the United States. It really is mostly a U.S. show, um, even though it has some European figures in the exhibition. Um, but it's really a, a, a U.S. show. But in the case of, of Wagner, Honus Wagner, the other aspect of, of Wagner is, the, again, the mar- marketing and branding. That That is one of the most rare cards, and it's debated as to why the card was pulled, but there were, I, I can't remember the exact number. I think there's estimated to be around 50, and maybe they know that there are 15 in existence of that card and probably about three to five that are really in good good conditions. But anyway, the reason why they stopped producing that card is apparently Wagner was offended by the fact that um, the card was sold in cigarette packages. And so it's kind of interesting on a, a number of levels, I think on the first level, that that he didn't like cigarette smoking that early on and, and didn't want to encourage children to smoke on that that's one level and I think the other level uh, in terms of power and branding is that he was able to stop its production and we see that today in sports Um, you know if Derek Jeter 
says that he doesn't want something done, or, or maybe a better case is if Tiger Woods says he wants this or that, he can actually get what he wants. Whereas if you're a two-bit player and you all of a sudden say to management, you don't want your card, uh, as is, I can't remember the punter here in, in Minnesota who was very politically active, but you know was then released. I mean, he he was really taking some risk because he wasn't that high-powered a player. Um, you know, no one will listen. So you know, Wagner also understood the power of his role as a cultural icon to stop production of that card. David, I want to ask about uh, a set of photographs. Uh, I was I was less familiar with I, re- I remember them from back in the 80s but it was interesting to see them and and these are Andy Warhol's photographs that he did in the early 80s of of different uh uh sports celebrities and and the ones that struck me in particular were the the photographs of Wayne Gretzky and it looks like it's from from the early 80s when he was just starting his career with the Edmonton Oilers. No, absolutely and and um Warhol took a number of uh Polaroid uh, photographs with the you know the old SX70s, which are our instant photographs, and he took them of Nicholas and of Ali and of Chris Everett and uh, Martina, and and I was really drawn to um, this set of Wayne Gretzky's, not just because this is what my hair looked like in the 1980s <laughs> when I had hair. I think what all of our hair hair looked like, you know, parted in the middle and the feather cut and. Um, the mullet, uh, of course, but uh, you know Warhol just has a different kinds of uh, approach to uh, portraiture as an artist. This is again where he's an artist and he's recognizing Gretzky maybe not as a player. Remember, I was talking earlier about the recognition of having an understanding of sports and having an understanding of art. But what what Warhol understands is he understands what it's like to be a star. Mm-hmm. So he is taking a photograph of of Gretzky as a star. And there's a great picture which where you don't even see Gretzky's face. You just see um, just see the blade of the stick and you see his number. But that's all you need to see. And you know exactly who it is. And then there's a beautiful composition there. But there's this other uh, image that is, is uh, very well lit where he, he's looking uh, directly at you. And um, there is this, in his um, portrayals, he's not... Uh, and the same thing, and there's a series of pictures of Nicholas. He shows Nicholas in these very, um, what we might find as awkward yeah. uh, poses. Uh, uh, and and, and that's, that's also what I was really attracted to. He, he Gretzky, for instance, looks incredibly vulnerable. He looks rather frightened, or he doesn't look heroic in these uh, pictures. He looks... Um, he looks like a young, handsome, handsome guy, and 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 even even maybe a little bit androgynous um, as as um, as you as you look at this this picture more and more with the haircut and just the the softness of his his features here. Yeah, and he doesn't look like you know what we would expect of a hockey player in that with the feathered hair and the tan and uh, as you said these these this, these vulnerable eyes. He has this androgynous look to him. He's he's just kind of the specimen of 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 beauty. Not right, right. And he 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 doesn't have his shoulder pads on. He he. I mean, he's a skinny guy. He's a little guy, and uh, you know you wouldn't look at this photograph of. Gretzky and say, oh, that's the great one. Yeah, I mean, you would never think that at all. And there is this kind of throwaway quality of uh, Polaroid as well. Um, it was really one of the first pictures that had, or, or productions of a kind of photograph that had that instantaneous um, image, but also this 
this kind of just pat you know you remember as kids you, know, you, you pass around the Polaroids after you you've taken them which was so much fun David can I ask you to give us a, a brief lesson in in reading photographs so when when we open the sports page or mm-hmm. a magazine like Sports Illustrated what sh- what should we look for in the sense of what makes a a good photograph an original photograph uh, as a piece of art you know I I always say um, look for something different. I know that 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 sounds really obscure, but um, one of the ways where you'll find something really different um, is is first of all to start to recognize um, photographs that are the same. So uh, you could do this when you go home today and look at your Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated is a great example of a, of a set of photographs. And, um, you know, there was, for instance, just the, the annual, um, uh, football, uh, you know, the, the preview of football. And, and you think about the problem of an editor of trying to put together those pictures. So I, I flipped through it and I thought, okay, um, let's take a quarterback. What kind of, what kinds of pictures can you take of a quarterback that shows he is a quarterback? <laughs> and when you think about that, you're very limited. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You have the, there's the, a lot of times uh, the quarterback has the ball in his hand and he's looking upfield as though he's going to pass or uh, or he's got his, his arm back, um, like the Statue of Liberty play, you know, but, you know, he's got his arm back to, to throw. And, and with um, running backs, it's the same. So look at those particular patterns um, in photographs uh, of, particular players uh, receive you know uh, uh, another example is um, a receiver is usually diving for a ball um, or has the ball is just about to come into his gut or in baseball the outfielder is usually jumping to, to get the catch or jumping in, in front so those are the so once you develop an understanding of those photographs all of a sudden there'll be a photograph of a, of a of a quarterback, and you look at it and you say, hmm, that's interesting. I've never seen that picture. It's those pictures that have either, in the, it could be outside the frame of the photograph of the quarterback, something that's going in the background. It could be the way that it's composed. It could be an expression. It could be the way that even the quarterback is holding his hands or his arms or his shoulders. There's something in that picture that just all of a sudden kind of pops out at, at you. And I think the way that, that one can develop that, that particular skill, and, and this is as a curator, is I just look at millions of pictures. <laughs> so, you know, most pictures, uh, when you're looking at the pictures, I, you know, honestly, it just takes me a few minutes to look at the picture. And I know, okay, I've seen that picture. And then looking, 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 and then all of a sudden you'll see, oh, okay, this is very, very, uh, very, very good. It's just like, you know, I know you teach, um, and and I, I, we shouldn't tell students this, but you can pretty much read the first yes. first page. <laughs> I can, you know I where can, you're going. I can read the first two sentences and know where. Yeah. <laughs> first first page and so so it's that kind of visual that you do. It's it, you know when you're house hunting, you know you go online and you look at like two pictures. You already know what the house is going to be like, and you 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 just make a decision. So anyway, so in looking, trying to make a determination of what is a great photograph, I think. First of all, you have to to really gain an appreciation or an understanding of what is a basic photograph. And then from the basic thing, you can look at those attributes. And then as you start to then collect, then, then, you, then you 
something, you gather those photographs that you think are above the basic, and then you start refining and refining and refining. And what's fascinating is, is um, you know, phot- photography sometimes gets a really bad name. I mean, the, the idea is that, you know, anyone can take a photograph there's no doubt anyone can take a photograph and um, what's amazing to me is that when you see great photographers they just they hit it over and over again they just they just know how to take pictures they know how to look through the lens and frame an image or focus on a certain aspect of a movement and and give us something that is um, unexpected or a surprise I mean my last the last thing to, to think about, this is maybe too, um, maybe not too esoteric, but too hard to explain, but there's a, there's a great critic by the name of Roland Barr who has written, written a book called Camera Lucida, and he talks about what he calls, as the, he calls it the punctum, and he says that great photographs have something in the picture that just seems to shoot out of the picture and, and puncture you. Like it has this effect of of an uh, you know almost an aha moment and he he identifies uh, maybe I'm stealing this a little bit him like uh, uh, stealing this a little bit from him but he does identify a certain oddity a certain thing in a picture that that kind of draws your your attention I mean my big criti- criticism and I don't think Sports Illustrated is going to like it very much <laughs> but I didn't include any Sports Illustrated photographs I noticed that a, I noticed that there's yes. a kind of uh they have a style. They have a style mm-hmm. of picture that they take, and once you become familiar with that style of photograph, it's the same photograph over and over again. Now, I, I have noticed lately they they have this section up front of pictures that they've been doing, and they've mm-hmm. gotten a, a little bit better, and they're trying to be a little bit more creative. But you know, they're 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 really um, trying to reach a particular kind of audience so there are certain so the the male figures um there are a lot of really macho figures and then also you know if there if there's a picture of a tennis if there's a picture of a woman tennis player you can guarantee that it's going to be a picture of her bending over and uh you know her 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 underwear showing. You know that's that's the Sports <laughs> Illustrated representations of female females in Sports Illustrated. So they're really playing to a certain kind of audience in their pictures, and and uh, they're they're you know they're spectacular images too. But that um, I mean, if you think of the sports show, the images that I show in the catalog reveal the show. They they show they have a critical element that says. This is a picture, but we're at a distance, and we're able to see the show. Sports Illustrated is part of the show. That's, I think that's the main difference. So I'll ask you a question, David. We're almost out of time, and, and I'll ask you a question that comes out of my reading of Sports Illustrated. <laughs> and a, uh, in, in an issue just a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a photo in the front, one of these new photos that you were talking about, a photo in the front, double, double page spread, uh, showing the baseball player Ichiro Suzuki, uh, he yep. had just hit his 4,000th hit of his professional career. He was bowing to the crowd at Yankee Stadium, and uh, in the background you could see everybody in the stands was taking a picture of yeah. Ichiro at that moment. And I want to ask you, you know, we live in an age in which cameras and photographs are ubiquitous. So from your perspective as a scholar of photography, will Will photographs lose the power to move us as we increasingly live our lives looking through a camera? Or, and, and as you say, you look at millions of pictures, 
will the distinct photographs, the ones that uh, cause us to have these aha moments, will they stand out even more now that we're surrounded in images? Yeah, I think I, I don't know if they'll stand out more, but they'll still stand out. I think that they will we'll still go through that process of filtering out those great images. It's be, it's becoming harder and harder <laughs> because not because there there are more cameras, but there aren't more great images. But you have to look through more images. <laughs> that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you just have to look through more through more images. I imagine that editors at you know, at Random House and the publications are thinking of the same thing because, you know, it's easy to write a novel now, but it doesn't mean that there are more novels uh, with uh, more great novels. So so I do think that the power, that they will still have those distinctive, powerful images. But I think you also raise uh, another issue as well as just the ubiquity of, uh, of photographs and how that might it might affect again the way that we think about and engage in sports. And I, I, one of the things that um, I noted in the catalog is the way that viewing has changed as a result of media and how we are in the game, um, and that the camera in particular has offered something that uh, sports really um, adores and, and depends on now is that the camera now determines the winner and loser of games, uh, whether it's the instant. Uh, replay or, um, you know, in the Michael Phelps uh, case of a camera underneath the water that was able to determine that he touched the wall first. Or we saw it two weeks ago, which was a very, very interesting case. And I, I you know, I, I, I wish there were more discussion about it, but the, um, I don't know if you remember the Tiger Woods case. Uh, I guess it was in uh, last week where Tiger was um, in the woods and there was a camera uh, a long lens camera that was fixed on his ball and he went to move the leaf. I mean, you just see his hand go down. Uh, it's a very, very abstract image and the ball moves and he received a two-stroke penalty because of that uh, action. And um, it's about him always. He, he complained um, just last week saying, well, I'm always under the camera, the guys of the camera. There. What about all the other guys that are in the woods that aren't having a picture? He wasn't making an excuse for himself. He still disputed that the camera, that the ball moved. But this idea of constantly being watched and how that will affect the evaluation. But I think that part of the story that was missed a bit in terms of the Tiger Woods uh, case is when you magnify an image like that, you know, what is movement? You know, so the movement of the ball, Tiger said it oscillated. They did determine that they the determination was moved. But how do you make a determination of movement and oscillation when you've got such a large scale image that we're really we're seeing something that isn't natural? I mean, we're we're pretending that we're seeing something as though we would see it with our own eyes, or as Tiger saw it, but we're not. We're seeing it through a, a high powered lens, magnified and in slow motion. <laughs> so um, uh, the whole the whole reception of what we see. And, and you see that, I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel that as well when you see something in um, on a football field when someone fumbles a ball or they lose a ball. Watching something via a camera, there's not a greater truth in some cases. It's a different truth 
because of what the camera captures. So anyway, it's a, it's um, cameras are are fascinating, and I, it's 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 great to have a camera culture now. I think it's I think the camera. I mean, for me, it is <laughs> given my position because I think the photography, uh, which had always been criticized for being populist, um, now the very power of photography is because it's populist. Well, David, thank you for coming on the podcast. This was a uh, a wonderful, wonderful book to look through. So, you know, many familiar images, and uh, which I wish I would have been able to see in uh, in an exhibition uh, on on you know on display, uh, as well as many images that I didn't know of. And and I'll ask you to conclude. Did you uh, is the sports show going on the road? Has it been uh, at other museums? It is not on the road. I'm disappointed we couldn't get it on the road. It was uh, we put this together really really quickly and and couldn't unfortunately get it on the road. But I'm I'm hoping that um, someone else will do a sports show. And I have to say that. The reception for the show has been tremendous. Time Magazine did a, a long, a long article on the show, and um, you're calling me a year, a year uh, in, uh, afterwards, and I've had so many calls about the the sports show. I mean, there's just a great desire to sort of think about the subject, and I'm I'm delighted to be, um, you know, part of the, this history. You've been listening to an interview with David Little about his exhibition catalog, The Sports Show. Athletics as Image and Spectacle, published in 2012 by the University of Minnesota Press. New Books in Sports is part of the New Books Network, which offers dozens of channels of podcast interviews with the authors of new publications on subjects from sociology to science and technology. If you like what you heard here, please follow New Books in Sports on Twitter at New Books Sports or friend us on Facebook at facebook.com slash newbooksandsports. I'm your host, Bruce Berglund. Thank you for listening, and enjoy your week.